Father, we, in our worship, we shift another gear, and now we turn to your word. Having already discussed it, having read it, now we want to explore it, and we want to um, and dive into it. We acknowledge that these words were breathed by you, our God. That they are inspired, that they are different from other words because of your Spirit's power. And they reveal to us, these written words reveal to us Jesus, the living word. And we want to be his church. And as we consider this, the, the most sacred, most central element of worship, the table that he set for us, may we know him better. May we know his expectations for us, um, his care for us, his love for us, and the seriousness of the table that he set before us. We pray this all in his name. Amen. So we've already read 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 through uh, 34. Um, and I just want to talk about this thing, the Lord's table. When... Um, and I think it's been five years, four years, five years that we switched to doing it every week, right? It was pre-COVID, so it was like five years, right? When we made the switch, we were very intentional about going from once a month to once a week because this is central to our worship. And you can tell with the Apostle Paul how central it is right at the beginning of, the, of his discussion. When he says in verse, in verse uh, 18... He says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church. Now, what is that? We come together as a church. What is that? It's the worship service, right? It's first Sunday of the month. It's pretty straightforward. They, he actually mentions later in this, this particular letter about coming together on the first day of the month, or first day of the week. Um, but he says, when you come together, in verse 20, when you come together, so when you come to the worship service, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. He says the problem is you're coming together, but you're not coming together to observe the Lord's table. So that kind of hints to us, kind of explicitly, that this is supposed to be the central piece of every worship service. And and you say, well, now if you grew up in the Baptist tradition like I did, or the free churches, evangelical churches, you know that, that for the most part people do not do communion every week. Now, in the liturgical churches, they do it. The Roman Catholics do it. I mean, not only do it every week. They do it multiple times every week. Um, and, uh, and, you know, the same thing with the, the, the Episcopal and the Anglican and the Methodists. And the, they, they, they do communion every week. Um, and they have different names for it. The Mass, the Eucharist, you know, different, different terms for it. But they do it every week. But a lot of the independent churches, Baptist churches, evangelical churches, you know, they don't do it every week. Why don't they do it every week? Because in the Reformation, this is something that we'll, we'll talk about um, in the church's class, but in the Reformation, the centerpiece of the church moved from the Lord's table to the pastor's pulpit. And, and now there's validity in the argument that the preaching of the word of God should be central and primary to our worship. However, not at the cost of our unity with Christ. And, and these two things are not in competition in the church. 
The preaching of the word of God and the observance of the Lord's table should not be in competition. What does Paul say? I hear that among you there are divisions. That you're not approaching things thinking about the unity of Christ. Everything should be unified. When I was coming up as a pastor, there was, a, there was the worship wars. Dun, dun, dun. Doesn't that sound like, like two musicians coming at each other in like a cage, like a UFC match? The worship wars. Um, Chris Tomlin wins by a submission. Um, you know, but the worship, wars, the worship wars were this argument. Do we, should we sing hymns or should we sing new music? All right, and, and there was this big argument, well, the hymns are this rich and deep tradition, and they are. They are a rich, deep tradition. Although, I'm going to clue you in, a lot of them were not written as long ago as you think they were. All right, um, But we have this deep, deep idea, this, and, and there is beauty and value in those hymns, and, and they should be sung, and they should be a part of our worship. But that does not mean that anything written after 1950 should be discarded as useless. And so people used to ask me, they're like, do you have a contemporary service or do you have a traditional service? And I used to look at them going, what are you talking about? We just have a Jesus service. If it talks about Jesus and points us to him, we're going to use it. I was like, so we don't use music, we don't, we don't use the hymns that have kind of questionable theology. Have you ever read some of them? Some of them have some weird things in them. I come to the garden alone. Are you Mary Magdalene? What is going on in that one? And it's actually based on a dream that a guy had. So I'm like, ah, you know. Or my other favorite, all right? Come around 4th of July, everybody wants to sing the battle hymn of the Republic. John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave. That's the original lyric to that song. So, eh, you know. Um, Or my other favorite was, can we sing the Star Spangled Banner? And the answer is, no. Not only can we not sing it in church, very few people can actually sing it. Just in general. Same thing with the Hallelujah Chorus. Somebody one time, our hymn book used to have the Hallelujah Chorus in it, and we had a Christmas hymn sing where everybody just picked songs, and somebody picked the Hallelujah Chorus. How many of you have ever actually tried to sing the Hallelujah Chorus, right? right? There's like a handful of us that were in choir. It's not a solo song, and it's not a song you don't sing prepared. It, like, it's, oh, we could just wing this. Like, like you're reading the Hallelujah Chorus and suddenly the music goes like this. There's 18 parts and you're like, I don't even know where I am. Hallelujah, hallelujah. All right. Um, so, so, there, but there's depth and rich to music. There's not a decision. People say, well, can you be a casual church? Um, you know, are you gonna, how are you going to dress in church? I'm like, preferably in clothes. I'm not too now. Now I have a thing. You will notice when I when I come to church, I always wear clothes in good repair. I like to wear a button-down shirt. I like to wear khakis or, or or pants. I'm not a suit and tie guy, but that doesn't mean you can't worship in a suit and tie. I'm not a ripped jeans guy. All right. Um, I'm not saying you can't worship in ripped jeans. It's hard, but you can. Um, uh, but I like I like a nice, neat look. The best thing that ever happened to me was the death of skinny jeans. I just hate the whole idea of middle-aged men in skin-tight pants. It's just not a good idea. Um, so anyway, my, my point, though, of this is that when we come to the worship gathering, it's not we, we need to seek unity in the elements of our worship. We, we, and, and the Lord's table and the preaching of the word and the singing of songs, they are not supposed to be in competition. Um, 
So, and people sometimes talk about, well, I go to this church because the music is rocking. Oh, be careful there. Or I go to this church because they have a light show. Oh, be careful there. Or I go to this church because lots of other people go to this church. Oh, be careful there. Um, now, I'm not saying that's wrong to have a big church or a light show or rock bands or whatever, that they get, but, but the, this should be a unified message. And the Lord's table should be the foundation of our unity. The foundation of our unity is not everybody likes how Eric talks. The foundation of our unity is not the band is always on on beat. They're also always incredible and they're playing. They played that U2 song with Christian lyrics amazingly. Uh, that, That is not the foundation of our unity. What was happening in this church, and we read it in verses 10 through 17, is that the fellowship of the church had become fighting. It had become competition. Who could eat better? Who could look better? Who could be invited to the table? They were literally in this church. They're literally looking for their buddies to pull them to their table to have their little party and drink and stuff while the the poor who are coming in are being pushed to the edges and being given nothing. And, And Paul says, how is that unified? How is that a unity of Christ? How is the church glorifying Christ when it is fragmented like that? That it's, it's broken and it's, it's classed and, and divided and, and, and there's all these things going on and people are walking around going, well, you know, I'm, I'm of Apollos and I'm of Paul and I'm of this and I'm of that and I've got the nice bread and you've got the moldy bread and I've got good wine and you've got junky wine and that's because you can't afford to be a real member of the church. Now, what's really going on in this church, the Corinthian church, is they started focusing on being better. There's a lot of alliterations in this service that rhymes for some reason. They focused a lot on being better rather than being brothers. They started to think about themselves as a show. We mentioned this last week, the covering of the head and all those things that was going on, that, that people were putting on a worship show. And they were, and so when they did communion, it was a big hoopla. I had a friend who told me one time, he said, well, he said, um, he said, when we have commun- when we have uh, the offering on Sunday mornings, I invite the congregation to dance down the aisle and put their offering in the plate. And I went, ee. I was like, how's that work for you? First of all, I know you're not Baptist because I mean, a Baptist would dance down the aisle. I was like, I was like, but you're you're just giving, you're having people like publicly demonstrate their stewardship. Eh, eh I I could see a problem there. Um, again, not wrong. I just careful. And what what was happening in this church is that the focus was becoming entirely horizontal. They were literally inviting each other to their own table rather than the Lord's table. They were coming to a situation and they were going to throw a party for Jesus and he was invited. I mentioned this earlier. You hear people praying, they're like, Dear God, dear Jesus, come into this place, fill this place. And they're saying that 20 minutes into the worship service? It probably should have started with that one. Consecrate this place. 
I don't know about you, but and, and this is not some kind of quasi-mystical thing. There's something special about this place. It's not the construction. It's not anything like that. It is that I know as the pastor, when I'm walking through here during the week, I know that on Sunday morning, a group of people who are sensitive to the Holy Spirit and sensitive to one another are going to come together to worship Christ. And that makes this place central. It makes it important. It makes it beautiful. It makes it sacred. But make no mistake about it. It's not sacred because we're here. It's sacred because he's here. And he manifests himself. Um, And central to this, the foundation of our unity, is the table. And I want you to listen at the end of this passage, verse 27, when Paul says this, he says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. I want you to understand how seriously Paul takes the Lord's table. Those who come to the table for their own purposes, for their own horizontal focus, and they invite Jesus to the table rather coming to the table rather than coming to the table that Jesus set. Paul says they are guilty of the crucifixion of Jesus. Now what is he saying there? He's saying they are coming to Jesus with the same attitude that the mob came to him when they called for him to be crucified. Jesus, we want you to give us what we want. And Jesus said no, and they said then crucify him. And you say, that's harsh. I didn't say it. Paul said it. He said they are guilty of the body and blood of Jesus. He says when we come to this table, and it is a microcosm of our relationship to Jesus. He is present with us, and if we come to his presence looking for our own purposes, guess what? That's sin. That's sin. Man, I love coming to that church. I just feel so good when it's over, like warm and excited and jazzed up for Jesus. I was like, Jesus size. My brain goes in weird places. Um, that's not what church is about. Oh, I went to church. I was so bored. It's so predictable. Jed gets up, Jed cries. (laughs) Eric gets up, Eric yells. Right? Is Jed here? All right. He's watching online. All right. Eric's going to get up and he's going to do this. You know, oh, the sound system, he's going to complain about this. We're going to have communion. We're going to sing songs. It's so boring. I don't get anything out of it. Wah. The church isn't about us. You say, I don't want to go to church. It's, it, it, it doesn't do anything for me. It's not Jesus that's wrong in that situation, just so you're aware. It's not Jesus that's wrong in that situation. Now, there are things called church that aren't about Jesus. And you've got to get out of those things. But when you come to a place where you know the Spirit of God is present and it's at work and the relationships that that God is building, that fellowship is connected, and you're not getting anything, 
It's not that Jesus isn't there. One of the greatest pieces of advice that was ever given to me as a pastor um, was actually in a, in a book. I wish I could meet this guy, Steve Byerly. He wrote this little tiny book um, about, uh, about being a, a disgruntled small church pastor. <laughs> and in the book he said, one of the things I had to realize was that the Holy Spirit doesn't show up when I do. Whoa. Whoa. That's a that's an ego blow. But the reality is we don't summon God. God is already present. Jesus is already present. His Holy Spirit is in present and we come into his presence. We want so often the Corinthian church is an example of this, but in the church in general, people want Jesus to be the miracle worker, but they don't want him to be the master. I told you there's a lot of soundy acronym. I don't know what the word is for it, but they start with the same letter. Alliterations. Um, we want Jesus to be our savior, but not our sovereign. I didn't do it on purpose. It just happened. We want him to be, we want to feel his presence passively. We can feel the presence in this place, but we don't want him to be a present reality. We, we, we don't want Jesus to be present as a person with a will and, and direction and a spirit and guidance and conviction to us. So often churches, the Corinthian church, the problem with this church was they wanted to gather in Jesus' name. They wanted to say that they were a church. They wanted to do all the right stuff with the worship service, but they didn't want Jesus to really be present as sovereign and head of the church. They wanted to do their own thing. We've all been in churches like that. We've all seen that. If you haven't seen it, trust me, you will. You will get to churches where if the Holy Spirit were to show up or if the Holy Spirit were to leave, no one would notice because he wasn't, it wasn't important whether God was present there or not. They've got their thing. They do their stuff. In Greek, the communion service, the Lord's table, is called epharisto which means give thanks. It's the thanksgiving. It is a discipline of gratitude to the present Christ. Because when we are truly grateful to the one who has brought us here, and we are truly grateful for his body being broken and his blood being shed, when we truly express our gratitude to him, by its very nature, it should humble us before him. And we become united not in what we are doing, but who he is. If there's a big idea to summarize this message up, it is this. We come to his table. We do not invite him to ours. You say, I'm not getting anything out of church. That's because you're setting the table and waiting for Jesus to show up as a guest. But we don't show up we don't wait for him to show up as a guest. We go to his table. We join with him. He doesn't join with us. Um, I was watching a, a, a video about worship, how to lead worship from a pretty prominent worship leader. And the, the person in the video was saying, 
we serve Jesus to the congregation. I was like, okay. Then she said, he is, the Holy Spirit is our greatest ally in leading the church in worship. And I went, whoa, 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 whoa. Stop! You hear what's wrong with that statement? Jesus, the Holy Spirit is our greatest ally in leading the church in worship. I thought we were his servants and ministers to the church. I thought we were allying ourselves with him, not him allying himself with us. He is the United States in World War II. We are Belize. We don't unify. He doesn't come to us. We go to him. And this answers a lot of problems, a lot of questions. People say, well, can't I worship at home or in nature as well as I can worship in church? No! Because Jesus instituted the church. Can you worship in nature? Sure. Can you worship at home? Yes. Does that mean you can just ignore the gathering of God's people the way that Jesus commanded us to do? No. You can't. I can just worship in my pajamas. It'll be more comfortable. It's the YouTube stream. By the way, one of the reasons the YouTube stream is never that great. I'm always telling De- uh, Dale and Leo to mess stuff up from time to time. I don't want you to be comfortable watching at home. I want you to say, they're messing it up. I'm going to go see it live. You're supposed to be gathering. I mean, the Bible actually says we shouldn't forsake the gathering together uh, with one another. Why? Because Jesus told us to. Because our unity comes from Christ, not from Him. You say, why do I have to do all the work? Why can't Jesus come to my house? Because He said, go to church. Be the church. Minister to one another. Come to my table. Be united in my name. So that's a lot of work. Yes. That's why Jesus said you have to take up your cross and follow me. And let me tell you, if the greatest cross that American Christians have to carry is getting up early on Sunday morning to get to the worship gathering, you should be grateful. I was reading an article in The Atlantic. I'm going to close with this. Forty million people have abandoned church attendance in the last two years. And the article, which was written by a Christian, was trying to explain how it happened. What happened? Why did people stop going to church? My question would be, were they going for Christ? Or were they going for church? Because if you're here for him, and you're making the commitment and the discipline to be where he is, rather than trying to get him to go where you are, the effort becomes a joy. Uh, it becomes meaningful. You say, well, church isn't, it's not what I, what I like. Listen, it's not what I like. It's not about me. It's him. Man, I have not slept past 5.30 in the morning on a Sunday my entire life. It's a discipline to come to the table It's the foundation of our unity because we come to Christ. We don't invite him to our table. He invites us.
to his. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Jesus, you brought us together today. We had to choose, we had to act, we had to will ourselves to rise, to get dressed, to come in. I know there are people that aren't here because of work schedules and sickness and travel and all those things. And those are all legitimate reasons. But Jesus, help us never to be lazy about coming to your table. To build the discipline to be where you said you would be. Lord, help us to never make this about ourselves. Make it about what we want and how we want it. Yes, Lord, you use our creativity and our imaginations and and even sometime our discontent in forming how we will worship you. But help us to always, always, not just make it about you, but make sure that we're coming to you. We pray for the church of Jesus Christ around the world, trying to speak the gospel into the lives of people. The message of the cross, the difficulty of preserving our allegiance to you over our allegiance to the world. Jesus, you are glorified at the table that you set for us. We do not need to ask you to be present where you have promised you will be present. We can simply celebrate. Help us to celebrate and be the church that we might go out from this place and serve and love and speak the gospel and truth and come again because we know where you are on Sunday mornings. We know your presence will be here setting a table for us that we might sit and hear from you. Help us to be the church more and more every day. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. My brothers and sisters, go and be the church.